EFTM Tech Cars Lifestyle This is the EFTM Podcast with Trevor Long EFTM Thank you for listening. Thank you for downloading. Love it. Happy company on the EFTM podcast. Once again this week, lots of calls to get through. In fact, a lot of calls to get through. Um, I contemplated splitting this episode in half um, because we've got a lot of calls to get through. And I'm going to talk to a man who created an electric vehicle company. Uh, a little bit with a difference, though. So it's a fascinating story that is evolving every day. And even this week, there's news and announcements for them. Um, so we'll talk about that. And yeah, a lot of calls, um, just because a lot of people answer their phones, maybe. There was more emails than normal, so all good stuff. Some I didn't get to. Um, oh, I'm not going to lie. I'm half pie considering having next week off. Uh, Stephen's going away, so we're, we're pre-recording different things like the movie podcast. So I was thinking, I mean, this is a long episode. Maybe I should do the same. What do you think? I don't know. Should I take a week off um, just to you know recharge? Otherwise, there's probably calls, uh, emails that I haven't got back to that I can get to. Anyway, I'll think about that over the weekend. Um, love to have your company. And there are some great calls coming. Great calls on the show this week. Lots of great emails. Um, but I want to give a shout out to, uh, to Scott, to, to Graham, to Bozenna, and to Brendan, and to the many people in the EFTM Man Cave who said the same thing. Having listened to my, um, my mention last week of the how you feeling today question and how I got some disappointing responses to that. Only one or two, I think it was. Um, uh, Scott said massive kudos for sending out the emails. Um, great personal touch. I thank you for that. Um, Graham said, uh, I think it's really good that you reached out to those who had a low score. Keep up the good work. Uh, Brennan said, you didn't overstep the, the, the line. The one reply could have been enough to stop someone from doing something to themselves. It's a, you know, it's a fair point. But I gotta say, um, Bozena, <laughs> you are you are one of my favourite callers, um, and I, I remember speaking to you many times. And I think people will remember Bozena. Um, <laughs> Bozena's email is just gold. Okay, after listening to your last podcast, I was shocked to hear the nasty email you received. All just for all just for to be nice uh, to reach out to someone for the positive words. I have no other words to describe that person as a piece of. Um, which is funny in itself that you would even say that. But And I'm going to read the next bit without beeping, okay? So if there's any kitties in the car, um, it's not the worst, but it is a bit of a, you know, um, colloquial saying from Bozena's mum. She says, wonderful things about the podcast. Thank you so much, Bozena. That's very nice. But she says, and language warning, okay? No kids in the car, please. To summarize, or just skip forward 20, 30 seconds. To summarize my comment, I will translate my mum's saying. Obviously, Bozena, um, mum, Bozena's mum's English was not a first language. So, <laughs> Bozena's mum used to say, you can put honey on the asshole, but it will still stink like an asshole. <laughs> Bozena, I've got to be honest, not words I ever thought I would see typed from your delicate fingers. <laughs> Shout out to your mum's amazing um, thinking. So I do feel energized by that and all the wonderful comments in the man cave. So thank you to, uh, to those people. So it's good. Let's move on and let's get on with the show.
Taking your calls, Trevor Long uh, with Tech Advice if you need it. Uh, EFTM.com is the place to go. Brett went there. G'day, mate. How are you doing? Hi, Trevor. Thanks mate, for calling. Mate, what can I do you for? Yeah, well, uh, I've got Norton 360 subscription and yep. also a, an Orbi um, mesh Wi-Fi system, mm. router and satellite. And uh, I think I heard you and Stephen or maybe one or the other of you saying the other day that uh, – or some time ago, that mm. you also subscribe to Orbi, um, Orbi's armour system, yep. system for protection too. And I'm wondering whether it's necessary or not if you've got Norton 360. So it's a great, great question. So my my view is that I – so I've only started using armour in the last two months when I installed the new Orbi. Uh, I'd not used it before, even though I'd been there, because I you know, kind of always had software on the computers and things like that. Um but I've been blown away by how much it's picking up on the network. So, for example, my wife's uh, work computer, uh, she, you know, she brings it home. She, she works from home two days a week. Um, and I texted her and said, you know, you just had a phishing attack on your computer. She goes, what's that? Uh, I went, okay, try and explain it. Um, now, that computer I don't have control of. It's not part of our Trend Micro subscription. So you've got Norton 360. I've got Trend Micro, right? So I've got Trend Micro on my, my PC, uh, my, my Mac at home, my laptop, and my iPhone. But to be honest, it's only on like six devices. So it's not on everyone's device. So there's not protection on every device. Um, to have network-level protection, you'd either need Trend Micro have a box you can install, or in this case, the Orbi has this kind of armor defender. Now... I'm going to stay subscribed to both. I'm going to I'm going to stick with Trend Micro on all my devices to stop me clicking links I shouldn't click, and I'm going to keep Armor on the network so that things like security cameras, um, Xboxes, any other devices that I can't put software on um, can be protected, and things that the kids are doing on them, uh, websites they're accessing can be uh, kind of blocked if if needed on the on the Netgear. Um, if you're like if you've got a very small number of devices in, in your home and you can install Netgear on all of them, then yeah, maybe you don't need Netgear uh, Armor if you if you've got Norton on all the devices. So it really is to, it's about the number of devices you have and the software you can put on them. Net, uh, the Armor thing keeps telling me that I can put Bitdefender on my kids' iPads, for example, which I'm sure I can. I actually don't know if that's an an additional cost over and above the Armor subscription, but I'm very happy with the network level armor subscription because it's blocking attacks and threats on smart devices like cameras and things. I've got one camera that is just, I've got to unplug it. It's so old. It's just stupid. And it's constantly getting hit by attacks. Um, and I get these notifications on things like my network attached storage. And my son last night obviously went to a website that was a scam. So, mate, I'm very happy having the network level protection that the Orbi is offering. Right. Uh, yes. Uh, well, that's all good information, Trevor. Thanks for that. I still, the question is, can you sure afford to have it. both, you know? Um, it's an expense. Yeah, the... I, I get that. And at, at, at the very least, what I would say to you is that if you, let's say, if you only opted for armor on, on the Orbi, then I'd want to make sure that you do install the Bitdefender on your main devices because when you leave the house, what protection do you have? If you only use Norton 360 then make sure that you've got a package that includes your mobile devices and things so that they've got that protection as well while they're in the home if you don't have the armour on the Orbi. Do you see what I mean? Like, make sure that you've got the most thorough protection that you can get from one if you're not going to have both. 
Yeah, I really only have, uh, like, I've got five devices protected, or I've only got four at the moment, but yeah. I've got protection for five. And uh, then I've got other things like uh, home pods and uh, um, uh, smart lights and things like that, which I, I really don't think require I, I, much I protection. Think, I think your they? smart lights are fine. I think your home pods are fine. Like, you know, big name devices like Amazon, Google, Apple, um, home speakers, fine. Uh, security cameras, if they're, again, big names like Arlo and stuff, I think fine if you're keeping them up to date. But I've got this, you know, dodgy old camera that I worried about. And then the other one was just the kids. Like my kids and my wife uh, click on links that they shouldn't be clicking on. If that software isn't on their devices, make sure it's on there. So that that's my only yeah, thing. So is what a- stick with Norton 360, but make sure it's on all the devices. What about if you have visitors come to your home, say at Christmas time or something like that, and uh, obviously they're not protected by Norton 360, but uh, how will the armour go with them when they're in the house? Does well, that's it, the great uh, thing. Is it, me it, or them any protection? It, it, it is protecting – it's actually protecting them more than you, but here's what I would do with guests. I would always set up a guest network, um, and what you do is you make the password really easy. And if someone says, why are you giving me the guest network? So oh, it's just easy to give you that password, you know, like just – just make up a reason. But the thing is, when they're on the guest network, they're not um, – they're actually on a separate uh, physical, like, network. So they can't see your printer. If they do get a virus, it's not going to infect your network. So the guest network is actually a level of protection for your home network when people come to visit. So I would enable the guest network on the Orbi, and that's where I'd be putting uh, friends and family. <laughs> right. I've probably I've – probably, uh... I've probably gone too far for that already. Uh, most of my family, they come and they already log on to the main network anyway. So Change the password. Change the bloody password, right. mate. Fair enough. Fair enough. Okay. <laughs> yeah, well, that's a good, good advice. Okay. Do you know what I mean? Um, sure. You know, yeah, sure. and, and yeah. just just say it's it's to protect the the smart devices and the network. And I mean, if they if they want to chip in, then they can they can start paying for the Orbi protection, eh? <laughs> Yeah, sure. Well, one reason I'm calling at the moment, I checked, I looked, logged on to my Orbi uh, last night and uh, they're offering a, a much reduced price at the moment. Yeah. I don't know whether they do that often, but... Uh, oh, I, I took the offer. Of, That's 100% what I yeah. did. I went, you know what? And, yeah. and I had this, uh, someone actually asked this question in the Facebook group, almost identical question, except he says, it's Marco, says, I've got Kent Trend Micro, but I've also got the Orbi. What should I do? And I... I there was a couple of people there that, and you know, because there's a software called Windows Defender, which is free for your computer, right? And one person said yeah. uh, Windows Defender and Common Sense are free. Now, my argument to that is, do you pay for car insurance and do you pay for CTP insurance? Have you got house insurance? Because a, a little extra cost on your on your life to give you protection, especially given all the hell that's breaking loose with regards to scams, spam and hackings and whatnot, pff, mate. I, I looked at it and went, I'd prefer to unsubscribe from a few stupid subscriptions I've got and have more security, and I, that's why I'm paying for both. Yeah, okay, sure. And, and, and uh, to be clear, way, to be fully transparent, Brett, I'm, I'm not, I didn't get it for free. I'm paying for both. Um, I might have got yeah. the Orbi to, to review, but I'm paying for the armor and I'm paying for Trend Micro. Sure. sure. Uh, by the way, I did get the Orbi on your recommendation, and it's made things a lot better. Uh, yes, uh, it's uh, the reason you there. That's great. Yeah, uh, we uh, we've we've got we've got a two story house and uh, we've got a, a slab on the between the first and the ground uh, floor. Yep. And, uh, so I need it. It's it's allowing good access everywhere around the top floor for that. So, um, 
it's it's really a good thing. Yeah, it's awesome, mate. I'm glad that. And so, did you put one of the the, the uh, router downstairs satellite upstairs, or just distribute across the house? How did you do it? Uh, yeah, I put the router downstairs near the um, near the the well near the the Telstra wire Telstra, Telstra router, just where that comes in, and uh, I've had to put the the um, satellite directly above it on the floor above, so that and it's. I don't know exactly how it works, but it does distribute the network all around the usable areas of the house. Perfect, yeah, perfect. Well, mate, I'm glad you. I'm glad it was a good investment, and and it really is a personal choice on the on the armor. I I do think if there's a deal going, mate, see if it fits the family budget. But most importantly, just make sure there is a level of protection available on your devices. Good on you, mate. Thanks for good. getting in Excellent. touch. Good Thanks. on you, Brett. Thanks, Trevor. See you later. Cheers, mate. Um, yeah, I mean, it's funny because. The literally the exact same question uh, came through on uh, on the EFTM Man Cave group, and uh, that's uh, it's good to see other people's um, opinions in there. Um, and I will say that a, a large part of the Man Cave group is highly informed and also just a lot more savvy than the average person. And I think that we've got to remember that while we um, as individuals might know how to avoid a scam or do this or do that. A lot of other people need this simple level of protection over over their lives, over the links they click. And you know what? We all fall victim and the scams will get more elaborate and the scams will sucker us in. And so we've got to be very careful that we're not uh, the next one that gets suckered in. Anyway, uh, let me know if you've got a question. Just go to EFTM.com. EFTM. This is the EFTM Podcast. EFTM Podcast. Let's keep going with calls. G'day, Laura. Hi, Trevor. How are you going? Really good. What can I do for you? Well, I'm looking for a music device for my nine-year-old son, similar to an iPod, but I feel that they're discontinued now and I don't want to get him a phone. Tough, tough call. Um, Now, I've had this question before and the fact is that there are music players out there. Um, yeah. Where's your mu- Where's he listening to music? Like, uh, have you got physical CDs? So have you got- Spotify. Mm-hmm. He's got a little speaker, mm-hmm. but he wants to make playlists, listen to audio books or podcasts, yep. things like that, um, without having to use my phone. Yep. So I got good news or bad news. Yep. Good, good news, news is there's definitely solutions. Bad news yeah. is it's a phone. But okay. Here's the thing. What you do is you buy a, and I'm just on the Boost website, right? Boost.com.au because they sell not just mobile plans, but they sell refurbished phones. So you can get an iPhone 8 refurbished for $279. Now, that is cheaper than an iPad, iPod, you know, the touchscreen iPod uh, before it was discontinued. Um, The plus version, the bigger screen one is $379. and there's even a, another one there for 289 which has got a brand new battery in it. So basically for $300, which is the yeah. price of what you would have paid for an iPod closely, um, you, you've got an iPod. Just don't put a SIM card yeah. in it. Yeah, okay. okay? And yeah. the great thing is, what? how old? He's nine. When's he going to get a phone? Like when he's in year six? Yeah, probably year six. You know, three years maybe away? Maybe seven. So, yeah, yeah. You know what? That can be his first phone. Just put a SIM card in it. So you're saving yeah. yourself money on your first phone as well. So, yeah. you know, to, to use Spotify, to use apps like that and those kind of things, you are going to need a smart device. You're not going to be able to yeah. just buy an MP3 player and download music. 
Um, there yeah. just isn't a device like that anymore because phones are what we do. But I totally yeah. appreciate that I don't want a nine-year-old having a phone. So yeah. an iPhone, whether it's your old phone or a refurbished one you buy and, and it comes in a box and you can give it to them as a gift if you want, um, you just don't put a SIM card in it. And, hey, presto, you've got yourself a really nice iPod um, that actually yeah. will probably last four or five years um, through normal use. And one of those years might be their first phone. And then after that, you buy them a new phone after that or, or a, a newer model refurbished phone. But, yeah, that's yeah. the best way to go is actually right. a, a phone with a phone just, just cheaper, refurbished. Don't buy a brand new one. Get a, get no. a refurbished one online um, and don't put a SIM card in it. And right. let them know that's, a, that's, that's what iPods are now. And the good news is that it – you might start that conversation, not to not to tell you how to suck eggs, but you might start that conversation around you know, yeah. screen time, screen usage, time of day, all those yeah. things. Plus, have you got an iPhone, yeah. Laura? Yes. So yeah. you, you should start at this point, you should start, you could create their own iTunes account so that you can create family sharing, which means that you can see what they're doing. You can set screen time limits. You can set downtime so it doesn't work after 6.30 at night. You know, there's a whole bunch yeah. of things that you can do with an iPhone yeah. that are way more powerful so that you don't end up with, you can approve apps that they download. So they can't just randomly download all the apps on the, on the, on the store. So it's actually yeah. a really great device for a parent who wants to give their kids music um, and doesn't want them to have the, all the freedoms of a, of a phone. You can start the world yeah. of, of parent, digital parenting with a device at, at nine years old. All right. That sounds good. I, think I didn't want a phone, but now you've talked me into it. I think that seems like the best option. I reckon in five years from now, you look back at this and go, actually, it was a perfect thing because it taught them yeah. about screen time. <laughs> it allowed you to set boundaries digitally. So just be, just all the most important thing, family sharing. Okay. Set yeah. that up, set yeah. it up with family sharing. So everyone in the family has an, iTunes, an Apple account, an Apple ID. And yep. you're all together. You can all see each other's, you know, usage and things, and um, and you can set those limits for the kids. All right, that sounds amazing. Good luck. Thanks for your help, Trevor. No worries all at right. all. Cheers. Thank you. Thanks see very ya. much. Good on you. Um, you know, it was it was a caller um, a couple of months ago, and then I had nothing, and someone emailed me and said, "Dude, a phone without a SIM card," uh, which is true. <laughs> that's that is all you need, and I, I get it. You don't want to give them a phone, but just think about that for a moment. <clears throat> Here's a nine year old who I don't know, maybe they've got a family iPad or something, but I didn't ask that. But you can start that whole family sharing thing. So, hey, buddy, it only works an hour a day, um, it doesn't work um, before you know three o'clock in the afternoon, it doesn't work after six o'clock in the evening. Um, these are simple rules you can put in place so that that they just learn that the device stops them. So mum and dad aren't the ones, you know, taking the device physically from them. The device just stops working. That's what happens. You know, Harry came into the kitchen the other night. We were cooking dinner. He's, oh, can you, oh, I want to play Xbox, but my screen time's up. And, and Amanda was like, well, if you've already used it today. And uh, his sister goes, he hasn't used it. It's just too late in the day. And I'm like, those are the rules, buddy. Your Xbox screen time ends at 6.30. So if you wanted to use Xbox that day, then you've got to use it in the afternoon. You can't use it at night. Um, and it wasn't an argument. It was just, boom, that's it. It's finished. But last night when he had a mate around and everyone else was out trick-or-treating, we, we extended it past 6.30 because, hey, we got a mate around and we weren't having an early dinner. Good times. Uh, screen time is a really important thing in a family to start a conversation about. And at nine years old, I reckon that's the perfect time. EFTM. This is the EFTM Podcast. EFTM Podcast. Now, you know I love electric cars. I've driven... Um, 
many, many, many of them and driven many long distances in them. Uh, something I haven't done is, is going off-road because in reality, um, there's not really an option for that much at the moment. But in fact, there is. And there's an Aussie company that's been doing EV conversions. Now, I've got to say, it's not a world I've been exposed to, but I've definitely seen this company come up, you know, whether it's someone shared it on Facebook or one of the other social media platforms. I've seen this company and uh, and I think most people will have will have come across it in some way because of the amount of stuff that we get exposed to on social media these days. The company is Jaunt and you've probably think, seen things like old Land Rover Discoveries or something converted to electric and thinking, well, how is that even possible? Well, the man that came up with Jaunt and is the CEO and has new business excitement to talk about, but we'll get to that in a moment, is Dave Budgen. He's on the line. G'day, Dave. How are you doing? G'day. Thanks for joining me. Mate, Jaunt, um, take me back. Where, where did it happen? Um, how did it come about? Because, you know, the idea of creating a, a company that converts cars to electric, I guess is not, um, not, not crazy. There's, there's definitely a lot of people thinking about it, but it can't be an easy undertaking. Well, so like you said in the intro, um, you don't you don't see, you see a lot of electric cars, but you haven't been off roading in one because mm. where where are the electric four wheel drives? And mm. so you you could ask that in from an Australian context right now. We don't have you know Rivian's not here, yep. to be with the other US entrants aren't here, Cybertruck's not anywhere yet. <laughs> so where are the true four wheel drives? And more so when we asked that question to ourselves back in 2019, uh, we, you know there was nothing on the horizon. So. It was sort of a, I guess, a little kernel of an idea for me as as a four wheel driver, just in you know in my spare time, you know, on weekends and things. Um, that I just wish that I could have an electric four wheel drive, and <laughs> and I think that you know there's there's a couple of things that can if they can come together in the right way. Maybe two key ingredients to any startup is that you've got a personal problem, like you want to solve yes. the problem for yourself, and yes. and you're you're the market, you get it. But then there's also can that can you expand that to can it be the rest of the yeah. community, right? Can you scale it? And when you look at um, you know, I'd worked a little bit within the automotive sector for technology and marketing and things. So I was familiar with the car sales in Australia, which is still current. And if you look at that, it's like, I don't know, twelve out of the fifteen top selling cars here are dual cab utes, SUVs, like four-wheel drives, and yep. and we're the biggest per capita buyer of four-wheel drives in the world. Yeah. So and then, and then you cross that with, particularly back in the, you know, back then, the the EVs that were available were, you know, a luxury sedan in a mm. Tesla Model S, yep. or a, you know, kind of quirky hatchback in a Nissan Leaf. All great cars, but didn't really cross over with. They the actually cars don't. They don't fit the Australian market. If you look at the, at the right. if you look at the market, we talked about this on the Today Show on the weekend. You know, it's That's all well and good to have great electric cars on the market, even cheaper ones now. But the yeah. the best selling cars in Australia are nowhere yeah. near being electric. That Those models are nowhere near being electric. And so you have this, this uh, I guess, mismatch with the market. And then you have this absolutely passionate um, level of, well, I'm going to just say classic cars, but, you know, even just mm-hmm. older generation cars. And I think the the iconic one that comes to my mind when I think of Jaunt is, is it's like an old Discovery or something, isn't it? It's, it'd be like an old Land Rover. Yeah, yeah. Now, to, to get Land Rover and technical on you, it's a, well, it's a Defender. Defender, that's but then it, yes. Before that, it was just a Land Rover because they only made one model. But um, <laughs> it's, <laughs> if you're imagining it, it's just, it's just like if you think of a four wheel drive, an old four wheel drive, you're imagining a Land Rover almost yeah. certainly. Um, so just that boxy shape, so, garden shed, bit of a bonnet, um, you know, that's So you've, it. you've got a little bit of knowledge and experience in the automotive industry, but 
the idea of creating one for yourself uh, is that mm. what is, was that what you thought? Well, I'm I'm not just going to build this for myself, but I'm going to build it, I guess, document it in such a way that I might be able to do this again. Or did you not go about your car thinking about the bigger picture? Oh no! Look, I don't ha- I don't have an electric four wheel drive for myself yet. I'm too busy running it running a startup. But mm. so yeah, went into that thinking. Okay, here's a little here's something that I can be I can be passionate about, and I think that I can add something to. But yeah. but of course, you know, I, there's no way that I you know a complete enough human to to run a startup on my own and all the yeah. challenges that comes with that. So I, I approached um, a good friend who I'd worked with for on and off for 12 years in, in different businesses, Martin Berger, who we, we kind of, um, I guess, disagree constructively in, uh, you know, in business things. And she's got a real, you know, managerial process mind that I'm kind <laughs> of the, the designer engineer guy. So I knew that we could kind of work together and I pitched this to her as, as just this little seed and that, and that grew kind of over that first year when we, you know, any like any startup, we're a PowerPoint presentation before we're yeah. much at all. But yeah. I think it's, it's um, you know, we, we were lucky to have a something that's fairly easy to pitch and to grasp. And I think, you know, you referenced, you might have, people might have seen it on social media. You show a picture of a classic old four-wheel drive in a yeah. beautiful colour, you write electric above it, people get that immediately what it's going to be. Yeah. Um, so, so, but I think that that, there is that barrier of, for most people, just the idea that you could swap any engine into any car, whether that's putting a, you know, a big V8 into a car that wasn't meant for it, or in our case, putting an electric motor and batteries into something that was never meant for it, is still a really, really new concept. But what's been interesting is that we've seen that most of our customers aren't people who are who own a collection of classic cars or even one, right. because they're not necessarily, you know, that they, they might love the shape but they don't want the maintenance. They don't want, they're not mechanics at heart, yes, you know? Yes. So, so it's kind of, we've, we've kind of opened this door for, for I guess one kind of customer who's like, I, I need a four wheel drive for whatever I do on a farm to get somewhere, to go camping, whatever it might be. Um, and I don't want to buy in another petrol car. So we're, we're, you know, an option for those people because we've been doing um, Land Rovers up until the 2015, like end of production of that, that classic shape Defending. and yeah, defenders. And then, and then there's the other audience of people who are just like, I've just always loved, I learned to drive in one or <laughs> I, I just love that shape and I love that classic and I want something unique. So it's been, it's been interesting to see, you know, and this was always our, our goal, I guess, was that we knew that we're not, you know, we're not producing hundreds of thousands, we're not producing hundreds or thousands of cars, but we could have an influence that, you know, went, went beyond the number of vehicles that we did. It's say, a little bit hey, of a rising tide lifts all boats, right? Because yeah, if, if, yeah. There's, if there's more people doing it, whether it's independently or as businesses, then there's more um, equipment going into it. There's more. There's just a market yeah. the, for both the parts, yeah. the supply, the the supply chain, and and the output, which is you know a cleaner, uh, more efficient future. Because the, the great thing is too, let's be clear, uh, a fully electric Defender has a whole heap of power um, that, you know, might not never have seen before on a Defender because electric, right. electric power is, is talk unlike most people who've ever driven such a thing would have ever found. So I'm curious yes. then, and, and we'll get to the, the, the new business uh, conversation in a minute, but um, I was introduced to you by Apple because you're doing a, a, a Today at Apple kind of conversation in Sydney uh, this week, which is exciting, a design lab. Where does 
technology fit into this outside of ob- the obvious, whereas there's technology in the car. Yes. But, you know, when you think of design, you mentioned you're doing a PowerPoint, or when you think about that, you know, uh, planning out, plotting out, we, we often hear that people are, you know, holding an iPad, using an Apple Pencil, using Procreate or something. But mm. wh- where does it genuinely fit into your workflow? Because it's fascinating to me to see someone jump deep into that as opposed to just use it as a side thing. Yeah, yeah, I know what you mean. And I think I've come at this at it in an interesting way because I'm not an en- I'm not a mechanical or electrical engineer. I've come from a design background with technology, building websites and apps and different things. Um, so I've worked with designers and engineers and but my job for, you know, well, the last 10 years at least, but nearly 20 years has been to kind of, you know, get things out of my head, the vision out of my head. In a, in a form that is then understandable by other smarter right. people who yeah. can specialise and do things. So when when we started, you know, I'm not an expert in, you know, all the very expensive complex, you know, CAD packages and things to do all that modelling and simulation. But what iPad enabled, you know, I, I think I've had an opportunity in my career to kind of take advantage of new tech. And I, and I see that as as there's the process of building it, but it's also then what you're applying it to. So in this case, it was like EV conversions is a thing that's just here now. And we can, I think we can make this better through through design, you know, designing it, packaging it, building a better system. But to do that, you know, obviously you've got to do the work. And it was just at the time when iPad Pros were coming into their own, there was real true software, not just like a a viewer for your 3D model, but true 3D modeling for manufacturer. Um, so I was using a tool called, and I'll, you know, I'll talk about it because I because I love it, Shaper 3D um, had really just launched. And it's a, a modeling tool that's millimeter precision, not just for visuals, but actually for production, whether that's 3D printing, right. machining, whatever it might be. So I was able to pick up a tool that was professional grade CAD that didn't have that learning curve. Yeah. So I could... And I didn't need, you know, an, an incredibly expensive workstation to do it. I could sit on a couch and literally a lot of the parts that are still in our cars were me sitting on a couch at home because uh, we didn't have an office uh, designing things um, with, with an iPad and a pencil. Wow. Um, and then when I was in a, in a workshop, um, being able to sit there with, you know, a, a ruler and some vernier calipers measuring the original Land Rover and modelling it in the car, couldn't afford a 3D scan or anything like that. <laughs> so it, so this one tool suddenly, you know, it's as powerful as any computer I had, more powerful probably, and I was able to start doing pro-grade modelling that's that's still, you know, parts that are in production today. And it's kind, as well of, it's as kind of it's kind of interesting too because you because you started with that, you know, you're on the couch doing the stuff because you're not in an office. Mm-hmm. Even even if you were to grow to a point where you've got all the gadgets and technology and even the money to, to buy the best of the best computers mm. and stuff, you probably still end up resorting back to that simple approach, which is uh, I know how to hold it in the hand and do this, yeah. you know, this way. Why would I go to a mouse and keyboard? Sometimes you exactly that, that may be exactly, and and we and we still do. There's still applications where it's it's the fastest way to to design the part, and I think that the more that you can get beyond a keyboard and a mouse and other tools, you know, it forces you to, you know, type in this number, how many millimeters exactly do you want this, which is absolutely required for certain components. But when you're dealing with things that are, might be more tangible, they maybe don't, they're not a part of the drive line and they're not spinning at 8,000 RPM, 
but they're right there on the dashboard or they're the gear knob or these things. They want to be a more the, – the numbers don't matter. The form and the feel kind of matter. Right. And, and the numbers might be a little bit imperfect, but it makes it look better. And you've got a much more free-form approach when you can – touch it and pinch it and zoom it and all those kinds of things. I love the idea that you, you said of it's essentially a way of getting what's in your head out because in the old days and still today, you might get a whiteboard on the, on the, on the wall of an office and you do put it up there. But then even with those digital whiteboards, which were horrible, but the, the concept, <laughs> yeah. the concept was still, I, I, I want to take it and I want to draw it. And if you can do that uh, on an iPad with a, an Apple pencil, it's quite remarkable to, to sketch yeah. out whether it's designing an app, what's in your mind for an app, uh, what's in your mind for a website? What's in your mind for an electric car design? Whatever it might be, and in your case, it might just be a part, right? Because I was yeah. looking at some of the, the the gallery, and I I was interested in in you know the inside. I mean, it's all well and good to take an uh, an engine out and put a you know electric motor and batteries in in places, but then inside the cabin, you know, you got a dashboard, and that needs to have dials. Yeah. But you want all those to be primarily classic. But then you need. Mm-hmm. You need a, a button for drive and reverse and and, and neutral and yeah. regen and I can imagine that that was something that you went you probably sketched out and went this is what this is what's in my mind. There's so many sketches. Uh, there's a book <laughs> of you know book of sketches that then turn into better sketches and then models and things and and that was for us that was really that's always been the approach. It's not you know let's build technology for the sake of it. It's mm. let's do it in a way that solves a problem for people. And and for us that, you know, you can get a bit esoteric around that, but for us it was like, right, you've got an old car and if, if people haven't got in a, you know, a 1960s old four-wheel drive for a while, it is not a, a comfortable and familiar experience. <laughs> um, they were a difficult car to drive in the day and it's not what, – what we're, I guess, trying to make is can we make something that is more aligned to people's imagination of what an old car is like to drive and all the fun and – the romance and whatever versus the reality, which is a lot of, you know, it was before conventions around switch labeling and all these kinds of things. So it was, for us, it's like, let's make it at first glance, feel true to the design language and the feel of that vehicle, but also solve that technological problem, which to us is most new cars and the more expensive, the more fancy and, you know, EVs get included in that, the more it's like, Hey, welcome to your new car. Now learn a whole new operating system. Yeah. Like it's hard enough switching from, you know, Android to iOS, but you get in a new car and it's like, welcome to the Mercedes or the Tesla or the yes. whatever operating system. Yes. As well designed as they are, you might only, you might never find out all the features. So how do we, how do we, for what we're building, we don't want to make you learn that. We want to, you know, get you out in the bush and driving around. So you should sit down that. and understand what everything does and, and where exactly. the things are so, without having to read a manual. So how can I, how can, and for me, it was like how one day I'm going to need to give the keys to one of our cars to my mum, and mm. can she use it without me having to go into some giant explanation of, you know, what a kilowatt hour is and what amp hours are, all these kinds of things. Um, can she put in a, put a, a key in, turn it, a little light comes on, a little chime, it's ready to drive. Yeah, it's as simple as that. So then you're a, a, a little Melbourne company, uh, you know, very Aussie name to take a jaunt and to nick off and go for a drive, as we say. Um, and now, uh, as of literally today, you're, you're announcing that you've merged with a, a UK company called Zero EV, which I understand pretty much does a similar thing. And you've created a new yeah. business called, and correct my pronunciation, but Felton, which uh, is Welsh for lightning. So, I yes. mean, this is... The Welsh pronunciation I won't even attempt. It's a lot more guttural. <laughs> the, the, I mean, this is a big deal for a startup, right? To find 
um, you know, to find a, a partner in that sense because that's you don't want to be absorbed. Um, you you yep. might not have the scale to be able to grow and just dominate. So it's actually really uh, exciting, I would assume, to to find a like-minded group of people doing the similar thing in the other part of the world to basically create a global expansion. What is the goal, though? Is it to to create an underpinning that, that can be uh, sold and used globally or is it just to have a better shared understanding? Yeah, I think this was a pretty good summary because it, it is a challenge. You know, like one one path of startups is to be absorbed by a huge company. Um, it's unusual to, you know, and within your own market, so within Australia, yeah. there's other companies doing similar things. It's, it's interesting to find a company that is, you know, similar mission, similar ethos, similar, you know, software, um, similar processes, but also that complements us quite well. So we've been working with Zero EV for quite a while as a, as a key supplier. They've been developing systems and, and, and getting components um, through supply chain and delivering globally for, for a few years. We've been working with them on that. But as of the, the last year, we've been working more and more closely together in terms of developing what's our, you know, next generation systems. And we'd, we'd seen, you know, we both came at this looking at and going, there's there's these kind of, you know, small garages, restoration shops doing incredible, you know, building incredible vehicles and doing doing one-offs. So mm. you, you come in with your amazing car, they'll convert it, they do that. And and that's, I mean, that's a there's a good business in that and there's yep. a lot of fun in that. But for us it was uh, let's build to the best quality that we possibly can and let's do this in a way that then, Gives people the, I guess the, what you kind of come to expect out of a out of a car these days, right? You expect this warranty, you expect a certain yep. level of software support and updates and all these things. You can only do that if you're scaling a singular platform and putting, you know, and and being able to do that and doing it at a certain scale. So we we'd been we realised that we had that similar mission, and we we as John had always wanted to be able to get kind of bolt-in systems out to all the Land Rover shops, um, you know, around the country, other work, whether you've, they've done EVs before or not, to make it simpler than doing, you know, fixing an engine if we could. Mm-hmm. So Zero EV really shared that. They, they've been able to do that with systems for Porsche, with systems for Mini, like the classic Mini um, oh, yeah. and a few others, right? So, so and that's officially for, you know, BMW now owns Mini. So that's an official approved BMW Conversion with a system developed by Zero EV now, Felton. So the amazing thing, though, as we worked with them was that they'd had this great experience in um, supply chain, in software and electronic engineering, but we came with experience in uh, industrial design and also like quality assurance and service because we're lucky enough – to be able to pull pull from a you know a talent pool in Melbourne, who there's so many people who've worked for General Motors, Ford, Toyota, yeah, course, yeah. and don't necessarily have somewhere to work anymore. Mm. That's at that global level of scale. So so some of our you know key staff here have had you know international experience at the biggest companies that we can actually have this nice you know combination of of skills to bring that together as a global development team. And I think for 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 us as uh, you know Felton Group globally that d- designed um, developed tested in Australian conditions is a huge selling point. I mean we're known as being good at that stuff, but also you know our roads are punishing and all of those kinds of things that we we build stuff that lasts. Oh, it's super exciting to see uh, an Aussie startup um, becoming a, a part of a global venture that 
you know, really can can make an impact. You know, I'm not a massive greenie, but I love the idea of just doing the right thing. That's kind of my mantra. Um, and mm. I like the idea that if, if look, that you just said earlier when you were talking about the, the kind of concept is, you know, sometimes it's cheaper or it's easier, perhaps, not cheaper, but easier to rep- not just replace an engine, but replace the powertrain. You're actually converting yes. something from old school fossil fuels to a new energy that actually gives it a much longer and more reliable life for the, for the longer term. And there are people who my, my, my motoring editor, um, Adam Clipsy Phillips, has owned uh, an old classic proper green uh, Defender. And mm-hmm. I remember him yeah. helping him take the roof off once. I'm thinking, why are we doing this? Just to take a photo. <laughs> um, but, you know, I can, I can just see him as that kind of person that just goes, this is how I want this car to live on. And such a great thing. Uh, the idea that it's not just now Land Rover, but, you know, your Minis and, and 911s, there's, there's a market there. I think what you said at the very start about classic car owners love their classic car, but really don't want the maintenance. There's probably some who do, but good luck to them. They're maybe mecha- yeah. mechanically minded, but I'm the kind of guy that if I come into money at some point and you're making a conversion for a Jaguar E-Type, dude, hook yeah. me up. <laughs> That's my car, right? That's my car, but I can't imagine opening the bonnet and you know tinkering. I would be taking it to the mechanics yeah. for all that stuff. So if I can be modern yet classic, such an exciting future. So Mate, congratulations yeah. on, on what Felton is and what Jaunt became and, and grew to. And you should be very proud of that because, you know, to take something global is is huge. And I, I look forward to finding out what the reception at, uh, at SEMA. SEMA is a massive show in Las Vegas. So, mm-hmm. you know, the the expectation from the from from that show should be huge. And um, it, it'll be really exciting to see how it how it grows for you globally and, and just how many um, uh, old defenders will be uh, the barn finds of the future uh, converted to uh, to rather valuable uh, electric vehicles of, of tomorrow. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, congratulations, mate, and uh, good luck. Keep in touch, and, and I look forward to seeing how it all goes. Thanks so much. Will do. Cheers. Thank you for listening. Uh, get in touch if you've got a tech question, eftm.com. Alex is on the line. G'day, Alex. Yeah, g'day, Trevor. How are you going? Yeah, really good. What can I do you for? Um, we've um, got uh, a little issue with our signal getting from one end of the house to the other and I'm trying to solve the problem. We've got our NBN and modem in the garage and then at the other end of the house we've got our um, Foxtel box and um, TV and and we have terrible trouble with getting good strong um, signals, especially at night time when everybody else is using... Uh, the internet and yep. Foxtel at the same time, and I'm just trying to find a. We have actually got a power extender and also a Wi-Fi extenders, but they don't seem to be working. So, mm. so um, we've the, had Foxtel. The, the issue yeah. with Wi-Fi extenders. I'll, let me explain uh, in in really simple terms. Um, let's say uh, you, let's try and use numbers. So at the front of the house, the the signal is 100 on the Wi-Fi. Awesome. At the back of the house where the TV is, the signal is like 10. And, you know, it's there, but it's not quite there. So when you put a a Wi-Fi extender in the middle of the house, um, what it's picking up is, let's say, 50. And what it extends um, is is the 50. So it extends the 50 and it appears to the old devices like it's 100, but it's actually – 
it's 50 and, and degrades from there. So it might actually end up only being 20 or 30 by the time it gets to the TV. So an extender yep. is great, but in really small, I think in small circumstances, and these days, very hard to recommend. The best solution um, comes at a price, but it's it's well worth the investment, not just for the TV solution, but for any connectivity in the house, is what we now know as a mesh Wi-Fi system. Now, um, Orbi, Netgear are a sponsor of ours. Orbi is the brand they have, but Google have systems, uh, D-Link, um, Amazon, Eero. There are a bunch of them available. What you want to look up is mesh Wi-Fi. And what it is okay. is, so in the Netgear Orbi sense, you buy, maybe you buy a box of three, and it might be, $500 for the basic system. Uh, if you don't have, you know, 20 or 30 devices in the home, it's probably all you need. One of them, the first one's called the router. It plugs into your existing modem. So you don't need to change anything at the modem, man. You just plug it in and it, cre and it yep. creates a new Wi-Fi network. And then the next one just plugs into a PowerPoint, let's say one third of the way into the house. And then the next one, yep. another satellite, plugs into another PowerPoint, another third of the way through the house. And what they do is they connect together using their own kind of network of communication and they create this dome of Wi-Fi that is your home Wi-Fi network and it will be far greater speeds than you've experienced before because you've never really okay. experienced Wi-Fi other than when you're standing next to the modem. I yep. can't remember in probably six years of recommending them, I can't remember anyone having a negative uh, outcome with uh, with buying a Netgear Orbi system because of if they've got the problem you're describing, which is great internet but crappy at the other end of the house. Uh, a mesh yep. Wi-Fi okay. system will solve that problem for you, mate. It'll be a game changer. All right, All right. that's great. That sounds right. great. I'll so look into it. So little, a little bit Wi -Fi. of an investment, little bit of investment, and and it's one of those things. You know, the more you spend, the better it is. When I say better, mm -hmm. the, the two things that, that change are you will get faster speeds on the more expensive one, but if you're only paying for a 100 meg internet or less, that's not an issue. And secondly, the number of devices that it can support. So if, you, if you're one of those people that looks like getting a bunch of smart light bulbs and different devices and things, then you might be like me and end up with 80 devices in your home. You definitely want to spend more money. But at the basic level for you know 10 or 15 devices and you know a TV and some phones and things, your base level uh, yep. mesh system is going to be great. All right. Well, that's, that sounds great. I'll, Happy um, shopping, I'll look mate. Into that. Okay, mate. Thank you. Good on you, buddy. Thanks for getting in touch. Okay. Okay. Good um, on you. Um, you know, I know, and I've said this before, I know you've heard that before, some people, but um, I was talking to someone about this this week. Uh, we, we only register, we're only cognizant to a topic when it's of interest to us. So, for example... You only you only understand and hear about uh, how much money you can save on a mobile plan when you're off a plan. So if you're in the middle of a 24 month paying off a phone with a telco, you're not even thinking about you're not you're not absorbing the conversation around prepaid and 12 month deals and stuff like that because it's not even something you can think about. But come close to that the end of that two year period and you're going hang on a minute. And so it might be that you've heard the same thing three times, but it only matters when it matters to you. So that is what it is. Uh, EFTM, uh, if you've got a question, go to the website, EFTM.com. EFTM. You're listening to the EFTM podcast. EFTM. Thank you for listening. Trevor Long taking your calls. If you've got a tech question, go to the website, EFTM.com. That's what Mark did. G'day, Mark. Yeah, g'day, mate. How are you? Yeah, real good. You're up in Newcastle, mate. I am. You're a Tanya and Steve fan, are you, buddy? Oh, absolutely. They're Wouldn't the miss it. They're the best. They're top rating, also named the best 
on-air team uh, at the Commercial Radio Awards. They're legends. I love them. It's one of my favourite radio yeah. spots I do every week, and I do a lot of them. So, mate, uh, yeah, good on well, you, and thank you for listening. Well, I've got to say, Trevor, <laughs> I know it sounds like, you know, it's just convenient for me to say, but your segment is one that I really look forward to every week. And that's why I guess when I had my question, I thought I would um, give you a call. Well, that's very and nice of you, mate. Is, so what can I do uh, for you? Uh, well, um, mate, my wife and I, um, you know, uh, tend to be people that keep our phones until they die. And uh, we also really can't bring ourselves to spend, you know, 2000 or 1800 to buy a brand spank, uh, you know, like yep. the latest, like an iPhone 14. So my question to you is, um, you know, what's maybe the best phone for us to buy? And, and we're probably, you know, going to stick to Apple because we do know that platform, um, you know, in around about the sub $1,000 bracket, you know, like an iPhone 10, 11, 12, what's your recommendation? So sub a thousand bucks and, um, and you're not too fussed about the new stuff, right? That's all cool. Um, to be honest, the first thing I do is I would, and I was talking to someone else about this, I would consider the refurbished phones because, yep. mate, honestly, they're great. The biggest difference about buying a refurbished phone is it doesn't come in an Apple box. Um, yep. If you go to, I think Kogan sells some, uh, but Boost Mobile is the one that comes to mind most because they've talked about it most, um, boost.com.au. Yep. Is basically a, a big long list of phones there. So, at at a thousand bucks, let's say you could get an iPhone 11 Pro Max, which is the big version, for eight hundred and nine bucks. Yep. Um, you can get an iPhone 12 Pro for a thousand and ninety nine. That like yep. that's a pretty good deal. So, and what happens is they come to you in a Boost box with a SIM card. You don't have to sign up to Boost. That's not an obligation, but it comes with a yep. SIM card. It's got a twelve month warranty. It's gone through a seventy two point check. It's like it's good to go. Um, so I would encourage you to have a look at those for a start, but mate, outside of that, I actually think the iPhone SE, which is basically the exact same size and look and design as the iPhone seven your wife has now is unbelievable. 750 bucks. Um, it's still got the home button. It'll look the same. It'll feel the same, but it's got the guts of like the iPhone 13 in it. So it's got the speed and capabilities inside it, which mean, most importantly, it's going to get all the software updates for like four years plus to come. So it's got a long life ahead of it. As, by the way, would an iPhone 12 refurbished. The reason I would go iPhone 12, for example, at a 1000 bucks refurbished is you get that new look, that new experience. It's a full screen. There's no home button. You know, at some point in time, you're going to have to go there. So you may as well go now. But, and I say this a little, the fact is, I'm lucky. I get these phones for free, and I got to send them back at yeah. the end. But I get another one after that, so I'm lucky. But if I was today um, required to buy my own phone, I would buy an iPhone SE at 750 bucks, yep. and I think it's a great phone. <laughs> Simple as that, really. Well, the SE, yeah. Well, the SE is one that I definitely uh, was looking at, and I mean, I'm attracted to, I guess, you know, the old platform. Of course, I know it. Um, yeah. Are there any issues with the SE and? you know, integrating um, an Apple Watch? No. um, The Apple Watch integration is completely easy on any iPhone with the right operating system, which the SE definitely has. Um, The only issue with Apple Watch ever is which telco you're with if you want the eSIM version. So if you want it to be independent of the phone, you have to be with Telstra, Optus or Vodafone to get the phone working on the watch so you can leave your phone behind and still receive phone calls. I don't know most people need that. Apple Watch paired up with an iPhone for tap and go payments and everything. It all works. Right. 
It'll, it'll work perfectly with the iPhone SE. Uh, no worries. Well, mate, look, thank you very much. Um, My pleasure, mate. Thank and, you for uh, listening to again. And uh, it means a lot. And uh, hopefully you get a great phone for your wife, mate. Right, thanks, Trevor. Good on you, buddy. Cheers. Um, you know, it's not, not rocket science. Not everyone wants a $1,700 phone. It's really that simple. EFTM. This is the EFTM Podcast. EFTM Podcast. Shout out to everyone who entered the uh, the EFTM Favourite Things giveaway. It was awesome. It was a great fun comp. I put a video up on the Man Cave thanking everyone for their entries. It was, I don't know, 100,000 different pages and different things. It was, a, it was overwhelmingly positive for, for EFTM, and that's awesome. But it was also just a lot of fun. It was stupidly hard work, and I, I should have planned it better and longer. And I don't know. I got Jackson to help in one really significant way and create that is to create the form. So once I created the first three days worth of entry forms, Jackson just duplicated it and set the time frames, and it didn't go wrong once. When it didn't appear as open, that was WordPress's fault, not the form's fault. I should be clear because that did happen a few times. Um, but it was, um, it was awesome. Uh, but yeah, just creating the social videos, little tiles and actually typing it up every day. It's a lot of work. Um, but it was good. I loved it. It was great fun. Interestingly, and let me just sort this here. Hang on a second. Let me sort this, sort this, sort this, sort this. Sort this. Um, it's funny because I had a different plan for the competition. So in my spreadsheet, there's actually a whole, there's a code word thing because I think I said that on the podcast. I was going to, um, there was going to be a, a code word every day. Didn't do that. Made it really easy. I thought I made it really, really easy. Um, it appears it wasn't as easy as people might have hoped. I don't know. I thought it was pretty easy. Um, you know, like the app's not perfect. And as I've said many times, I built the app so you get notifications and the widget. I actually don't envisage people opening the app to browse EFTM, but if you do that, great. But it actually, it's difficult to serve a load. There's all these other technical issues with it. It's fine. It's all good. Um, but that's not what I envisaged the app to do. It was just created that way for me, and I appreciated the way it was done. Um, but once you've got your EFTM ID, uh, you're in with the competition. So we want to get to a point where you actually enter the comp in the app um, because, you know, I want to, I want a captive audience in the app. So that maybe we'll get to that point at some stage. But just for your interest, the most popular prize, interestingly, the most popular prize was the Oppo Reno Pro, the smartphone, and the Enco X headphones. But it didn't have the most entries. So a lot of people, I think a lot of, People who want a free phone came and went, I don't want to get the DFTM app and then entering. And so they didn't enter. Good luck with them. I don't care. That's exactly the person I don't want. That's exactly the person I want to detract from entering a comp. Um, so good. Um, the JBL Party Box Encore was very popular as well. Um, and in terms of uh, the most, the biggest entries, uh, fascinatingly, the JBL Quantum 810 gaming headphones were very, very popular. The Ecovax robot vacuum was very popular. The AirTags were very popular. The Mural photo frame was very popular. Uh, and the Orbi Wi-Fi 6E was super popular. Um, so, yeah, an absolute cracker. Lots of, lots of great entries. So thank you to everyone for doing that. It was a lot of fun. Um, the objective, obviously, for me is to have you have the app and open the app and use the notifications. So I appreciate you doing that and 
not turning it off because that would defeat the purpose. I have learnt um, uh, some new techniques in in the in the website to allow me to stop the notification from going out in the middle of the night. So I apologise if that does happen. Sometimes we untick, we forget to untick it. But essentially, what we can do now is publish at one a.m. in the morning. And then what I do is later in the morning, I kind of republish it. I, I push out the notification with a republication. And I did that based on the feedback from WA. And the thing about the the prizes was you didn't need the notification the moment the thing went live. You could enter at 11.45 p.m. It didn't matter. But with articles, I will still push out a real-time notification at 1 a.m. if it is breaking news, uh, an embargoed new product. Um, but I, I take your guidance on that if you don't think I need to. It's on the website. Maybe that's enough, um, but it'll be very rare. So I'm, I'm really trying to control the the use of notifications to later in the day, especially for WA, uh, but across the day as well, because I actually want you seeing the notification when you're most likely to click it as well. And it's fascinating how many people don't click the notification. Well, let's be clear. I, I have the stats. I know exactly how many people click on the notification. I know how many people receive it and how many people click it. And it's fascinating. Uh, so yeah, let us let us know. Always happy to take feedback. I, I, I don't take critical feedback well, but I do take it. It reminds me of back in the day at 2GB when I was system program director, John Brennan was program director. I've told this story with Stephen Finnick. Um, you know, if there was a problem on the breakfast show, you know, and someone needed to talk to Alan, Brennan would do that. If there was a problem on the morning show and someone needed to talk to Ray, I would do that. And I'd probably hear from him about how stupid my idea was or whatever the thing was. But did my idea sink in a little bit? Probably. So do you know what I mean? Critical feedback. Um, I don't like it, but I hear it, <laughs> if, if that makes sense. Anyway, thank you to everyone for entering uh, EFTM's favorite things. It was, I'm going to say, it was more exciting than giving away a car. I really had much more fun. So, yeah, I really enjoyed that. It also didn't cost me $20,000. So that's, there's that. Um, but, uh, anyway, open to ideas for things we can do in the future. And of course, if you're in the EFTM man cave on Facebook, there's always more opportunities there. We gave away <coughs> a voucher there the other night for JB Hi-Fi. Um, so yeah, you got to be in the man cave to be part of it. So, and if you're on the man cave and you didn't see that, you got to turn on, like, tell me notifications, priority, whatever it is in Facebook that have done these days, that's what you got to do. <laughs> Keep going with calls. G'day, David. Hey, how you doing, Trevor? Really good, mate. What can I do for you? Bit of an Optus question or concern, yeah? Yeah, well, Optus still haven't contacted me as a former customer about uh, about whether or not my data has been leaked or not, and I'm, I'm a bit concerned. So it's a great question. When were you a customer? Uh, in 2017 was the last time I was a customer, so within the six-year period. And do you, do you, you don't happen to know which month you left them, do you? Uh like early, no, early? exactly. It was, would have been would have been late late yeah. in twenty seventeen. Because my my information and it was a bit broad, but my information was that the data that was leaked in that first little bunch showed some indication that it was something about a mail merge or a database merge in about May of twenty seventeen. Um, so I think it's an interesting point because uh, what responsibility does Optus have to contact like everyone who was ever a customer, right? I'm pretty angry at them still for not for taking so long to contact existing customers who were not affected and tell them they weren't affected. I think that's pretty that's pretty poor. But I guess I guess all we can say is 
that with some certainty, Optus now says they've contacted everyone who was affected. So if if your email address and or text, as in phone number, have not changed since that time, then I'd, I, I, I can only say with a, a small level of certainty that you're not affected, mate. You're in, you're in, the, you're in the lucky part. I'd certainly hope so, because if they sent a letter, it'd go to the old address, where, yeah. which would be on phone, and I won't get it probably. So. It felt like they, they sent emails, and then they sent texts. Uh, and mm. where they got either bounce backs or something, they decided to send letters. So I, I, it's a tough one, mate. The, there's certainly no way you're going to have any luck trying to get Equifax protection out of them because you're you know, so far gone. But I think you're right to be mindful of it. I think you're right to be concerned. And I would be keeping my eye on, for example, have I been pwned, that website, um, uh, apps like Norton or Trend that have a dark web protection to see whether or not your details appear anywhere. But, mate, I think you're, I think you're broadly comfortable. That would be my assessment. Thanks for your advice, sir. All right, mate. Enjoy the day. I will do. Good on you, you buddy. Too. Thanks, mate. Thanks for getting in touch. I mean, it's a tough one, right, because I'll bash them to a pillar and post, but – I don't know that they have a responsibility to, to let former customers know that they're not affected. Now, David raises a point that it was mentioned. I don't know if it was mentioned by Optus that it was former customers going back five or six years and 2017 was mentioned. So if Dave was a customer in 2017 and they've said 2017, don't they have an obligation? I don't know. That's a tough one. That is a tough one. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stay man in the middle here and say, look, I'm not going to bash Optus for not contacting you. There's only so much they can do, and I think they were negligent in most of what they did early on in terms of customer communications. Um, but it'd be a hard fight to suggest that they are required to contact everyone going back that far. So let's err on the side of um, caution with a, an air of positivity, shall we say. Let me know what you think, EFTM.com. This is the Thank you for listening. If you've got a tech question, you can always go to the website, eftm.com. You can ask any question, and uh, hopefully we can find you an answer. Uh, Kevin's on the line for that very reason. G'day, Kev. How are you doing? Good, thank you. What are you after, my man? I'm just after a, I'm after a big TV, and yes. um, I had a look at um, the laser. Um, the I can't say. The, the Hennessy. Uh, Hisense. Hisense laser TV. Yeah, I know the one, yep. I had a look at that because in our house we haven't got a designated TV, you know, theatre room. So yeah. there's a bit of light. It's just in a open plan house. Yep. So there's a bit of light there. But before I go uh, go and buy it, I, uh, I've heard you on um, Triple M. Yep. And I thought, well, I'll, I'll just try and ask and see if you know which Bloody is the better one. So what's the what's the cost well, of that hundred incher? Oh, about uh, you get them for about five. Five, five grand. Yep. So I'll be honest with you. I love the look of it. I love the fact that it's so big, but I wouldn't do it unless I had a room I can close the doors and windows off. Um, yeah, that's uh, this is what a few people have told me that uh, this Hyson one works okay with a lighted room, and other people have told me, uh, no, they said stick with a – uh, It definitely works better than a regular projector in a, lit, in a well-lit room, okay? Let me be clear. It's yes. amazing. So because you, when you buy the Hisense projector, and it's laser TV, they call it, but it's a short throw projector. It sits on the bench like 20 centimetres away from the wall and it sends, projects the image up onto a physical screen which you get with it. So you get a physical right. screen. It's a bit of grey. It looks like grey when it's off. 
And that That's right. that yes. thing is is super high tech. It actually diffuses light and bounces light away, so that you're actually looking at. It's like got uh, it's like got um, wedges all down it, and one end of the wedge is where you see the picture. The other is bouncing the the the, the light away. So it's very smart. It's amazing, and it is great compared to a projector. But if it was in my lounge room, and then I put a TV in there, I'd be like, oh my god, look at the TV. So yeah, this is this is yeah. I'm I'm a bit because the other TV that I was looking at was a uh, the OLED because they tell me that's the new technology and uh, that's the way to go with the OLED. But I think they, what's your objective here? Is, is, is your objective to get a big ass TV and enjoy the footy? Like what? What's your objective? I was uh, I watch a lot of movies. Yep. So it's mainly movies, but I also watch free to air. But um, I just like the big, instead of going to the movies all the time, I like when you watch a movie with good sound and good picture, you really get involved in Bloody it. Bloody oath, yep. Have you got a sound bar or any sound system at all? Oh, yeah, yeah, I've got surround sound, yes. Yeah. Right, okay. So we don't need to worry about sound. Picture is all we're going for. Uh, at an OLED sense, you probably your best is going to be about seventy, maybe sixty-five, seventy inches. Um, I think uh, they're coming out in seventy-seven now. And how much is that? Oh, they're they're about. Uh, you can probably get them in the you know in the mid uh, six and a half. Yeah. Okay. So that. when I when I said the best, I'm talking for the original budget of the laser TV. There's no doubt you can get some very expensive OLED TVs, mate. There. Because that is – so I think the way to put it is, and I say this quite openly and clearly, the uh, OLED is the best picture quality available. It's phenomenal, right? Because every single pixel on the screen lights up when, when it needs to, as opposed to even the latest mini LED, it lights up in, in portions and segments. But you are paying a rather large premium for that, and I mean – it's it's a big premium that you've got to pay to get an OLED. So um, that's right. Yes, yes. You know, you, it's. I'm just trying to trying to find on say the JB website, for example. You can get a an LG OLED, eighty three inches for ten thousand dollars. Now, for comparison, Samsung eighty five inch Neo QLED, which is their mini LED technology, is half that price. Is the picture yeah, is it... twice as good? I don't think so. I tell you, I've got a, oh, right. I've, so the, I've got a TV. So the Samsung. No, go on. You're right. Sorry. So the Samsung that QLED, um, it's it's a uh, just as good as OLED, but a little bit down. Correct. It's it's one below OLED, and and it's and it's a yeah. it's a step down. It's it's not a it's not a small step. It's a big step down. OLED is on its own up there in crazy picture quality. I've got a TV that isn't anywhere near Samsung's mini LED and nowhere near OLED. It's an 85-inch, big-ass Hisense from about two, maybe three years ago on our lounge room wall. And it's yep. friggin' amazing. Like, I love it. It would have been two and a half grand at the time. Probably you'd pick one up today for – I'm just giving you this for comparison. You would find yes, yes. for 2600 you could get a high sense, eighty-five inch, full array dimming, beautiful, right? So that's let's just call that what I've got, two and a half grand. Now, <clears throat> if you go up, the, the the thing I noticed, the worst viewing experience I had on that TV, <clears throat> excuse my my throat, was watching um, Greyhound, the Tom Hanks movie on Apple TV. Now, 
I watched it at nighttime with the lights off and the movie was amazing. But at the very end of the movie, it wasn't, it was credits, but it was kind of a tribute credits. They had this black screen, white writing, and then in like the, the bottom right hand corner, there'd be a black and white photo of, you know, someone from the Navy or something. And then it'd go black yes. and it'd light up again in another corner with a different photo. The TV struggled to do that well. It, it was struggling to go, I want to go black now, I want to go light. I'm, mate, it was in the credits. I absolutely didn't care. I noticed it as a TV reviewer and went, that's interesting. But during the movie, in all the action and, and light, it was amazing. Now, I think you, as a movie buff, wouldn't like that. And so I think you, as a movie buff, should set your minimum bar at something that is what we call mini LED. So you can get a mini right. LED yep. TV for $4,000. TCL have that. That's an, I'm talking 85 inches here, right? So TCL have one at four grand. I reckon you can go more because you were willing to spend more originally. The two TCL to, is it? Yep. Now that's the that's the cheapest mini LED. Yep, yep. The two that you really want to go and look at are LG. What that and it's so annoying, mate. I hate all these terms. I'm really sorry, but it sounded like you got a pen and paper. So that's good. LG QNED. QNED. Now, this yep. one at JB's is only $4,400, and that's this year's model, mini LED, 86-inch. I reckon that's a pretty cracking price, right? Because the one next to that is the Samsung Neo QLED at $5,000. Now, I'll tell you right now, that Samsung and that LG are identical TVs in terms of their technology. They both have quantum dot. They both have mini LED backlighting. They're the same in, in technology terms. It's really just about the operating system and the apps and things like that there. So you've got your $2,500 Hisense, amazing big screen. I think you'll notice the black levels and it might frustrate you as a movie man. You've got these LG and Samsung, which are basically worth going to Harvey's or JB's and haggling against, right? Take whichever one yep. they'll sell you. It's un you're going to spend less than five grand. Or you shell out your cash and you go, right, what's the biggest um, OLED that I can afford? And you're right, there is a Sony 77-inch at six and a half. That's the one, yep, that's the one, yeah, that was the one I was I was looking at. Um, that's why I asked the question. So, so we, we've, now got, the, we've now got this situation, right? We're, we're ruling out the laser TV. It's gone, right? We're ruling it out. But I've now presented you with three clear price points. Two and a half, about four and a half, five, and six and a half. I'm going to rule out the two and a half because I don't think that's going to be the TV for you. So we're left with yep. four and a half and six and a half. My simple point to you is if you can afford six and a half, get the Sony as long as you understand that you're getting eight inches less. Yeah, but seventy-seven. That's a fair size, especially in in a um, like a, a, a normal house. It's a How, fair size. Mate, TV. Here's, what, here's what you do this weekend or tonight: go to the websites and find the exact specifications of the TV, and get a bit of painter's tape and draw it on the yes. wall. That's what yes, I did already... to convince my wife to let me get the 85. And as soon as she saw it and went, actually, that doesn't look too big because she thought it was going to be crazy. Um, she went, no, that's perfect. Great. But but my point is the difference between even 65 to 75, it sounds like it's only 10 inches, but physically on the wall, it's actually a bloody lot. So 
when you draw a 77 and an 85, I just want you to know and see the difference. That's the only compromise you're making because it's a, you know, essentially you're spending $2,000 more for a smaller TV, but a better picture. And that's your balancing act. Yeah, we got a Samsung now and it's probably uh, probably 10, 11 years old now. Yeah. So, yeah, so that's what, right, yeah. So to Are you watching movies question, on that 10 or 11-year-old TV and loving it? No. Oh, right, yeah, good. I, I, I watch movies, but no. Um, it's just watching a movie, that's all it is. There's no excitement It's not, it's not the experience, yep. Okay. Mate, I, I want you to tape it out just to be very sure that you're not going to regret getting a 77 over an 85, but I have absolutely zero doubt that if you go for the 77, you will love it. Right, yeah. So just to uh, so with that um, high some one high sense, yep. Um, they're okay, but you got to have a, a like a, a dark room, a designated yep. theatre room or something, yep. and that's when they work better. That's when they really pop. You, mate. The difference between and you're talking about the same sort of cash here, right? The difference between a laser TV and an OLED is feeding them chalk and cheese. And, and you know, oh, so, right, yeah. That's well, oh, mate. Thank you for that. The zero. I don't know where you can find one to look at. Maybe there might be a Harvey Norman store you could go to that might have one on display, but I really can't imagine that even though you'd be sacrificing 23 inches of size for laser versus Sony OLED, mate, the Sony OLED is beautiful. Like the quality is amazing. So, dude, I, I really think that you should look at the, the Samsung and LG Neo and Mini LED TVs because they're – they're unbelievable for the price, and for 85 inches, it is, you notice, it, the size is there, mate. So measure them out, look at them on the wall, con convince yourself you don't need the 85, and then buy the 87. But if you think that size is important at that point, I'm confident you won't be disappointed. In the in the picture quality of the 85s, the, the mini LEDs, I'm just being very honest with you, that it's definitely not better than an OLED. <laughs> OLED, oh, yeah, best, OLED best, OLED best. Mini LED next, everything else below it. Right, yeah, you answered me question anyway. So, that, but yeah, so um, that was the idea of uh, sending you the information. Boom. Which thank you, thank you. For Happy that. shopping, my man. Right, yeah. Then thank you very much. Good on you, buddy. Thanks for thanks for listening to, to Triple M and uh, and thanks for getting in touch. Thank you. Bye bye. Cheers. Um, I think we got there. What do you reckon he's going to do, folks? All right. I'm pretty confident he's not a podcast listener, so we can talk about him while he's not here. What do you reckon he's going to do? I actually, I do think he's going to go the 77-inch Bravia OLED. And I respect that. I do. But see, I have this problem where if there's something bigger and cheaper, like a Samsung Neo QLED, 85-inch, low. Wow. Very good. Five grand. I don't know. I struggle because I think an 85-inch is... Is a sweet spot. It's a beautiful size TV. Well, we shall see what he does. I'll hopefully hear from him and, and find out. Trevor Long taking your calls. If you've got a tech question, go to the website. Narell did that. G'day, Narell. How you doing, Trevor? Really good out on the open road. Where are we off to? <laughs> no, I'm back home after a chiropractor. Oh, goodness me. All right. Hope everything's all right. What can I do for you? 
Um, I'm a pensioner who's on Optus and has been on Optus for eons. And I'm on a plan that's about to finish in December. Yep. But how do you find out what is the good telco for where you live? Well, so that's a that? great question. Um, the, I guess the biggest problem is there's only three networks, Telstra, Optus, and Vodafone, TPG. Um, and you've been with Optus for a long time and you've had no problems, right? No. So w- you want to leave Optus because why? I'm gun shy after the cyber snack. Yep, fair enough. So I'm in, AH, I'm in AHM. Yeah, so you've got the double bunger. Day. Yes, yeah, I got gotcha. you. And the license. And the license number. Yeah, right. Okay. So let's be clear. Let's be clear. By by changing telcos, you are going to need to hand that same information over to someone else. Um, yep. But, you know, obviously we, we all hope that every other telco has taken note of this and buttoned down the hatches and all that kind of stuff. Um, but also you'll be sending a clear signal to Optus that you're not happy with the way it's been handled. So. I support you moving, but I'm just being very clear that, you know, it doesn't really change your risk assessment. So I did no, a, no, no. I did an article on, and if you just go to EFTM and search alternatives to Optus, you'll, you'll know it's the right article because I remember now it's got a, a gentleman sticking the middle finger up and that was my, my photo for it. So it, it was it was a bit of what you want to do to Optus, right? But the, the what I did there was, was look at the alternatives that are Optus, okay? So let's be clear. Optus as a business runs its own telco and then it runs a Maysim and, and you know, that all the money goes to Optus there. But then there's a bunch of companies yep. like Coles, uh, Spintel, Moose, Aussie Broadband, who all use the Optus network but are separate businesses. So ah. it, what you're doing is you're going, you know what, I've still got the same coverage. Optus works. I'm still keeping the network, but I'm letting them know yep. I'm moving. So... How much yes. do you pay today for your mobile? Oh, all I buy, I pay 160 bucks. I'm sorry, 160 dollars for what? Yeah, yeah. Well, I've got a mobile phone and an iPad. Uh, so the iPad has its own SIM card. Yes. And how much data do you use? About 80 gig a month. 80 gigabytes, and that's shared across the SIM yeah. the for the iPad. Yeah. Because you don't have home. Sorry, in- I've got an Apple Watch. I've got an Apple Watch as well. Sorry. But you own all those devices outright. The Apple Watch, I'm still paying off. Okay, so you leave. You're going to need to pay them for that. You're going to need to pay the pay. You're going to you have to finish yep. paying for yep. it, right? Um, yep. The if you leave Optus, do you have the the watch set up so that you can leave the phone at home and the watch still makes calls and texts when you're out? No. Okay, so you know I'm still gonna work out how to do that. Does it really matter? Like how often are you leaving your phone behind? No, no. Exactly. No, it doesn't really matter. Exactly. Um so that's fine. That that's a good thing. Um your data usage is is high. Is there any way of knowing which device uses the most, for example? Um, not off the, that's some research I could do. Well, let me put it to you this way. I'll give you my favorite alternative for you, and it's Aussie Broadband, okay? A couple yep. of reasons. I've been with them with my internet since I got the MBN, and I think they're amazing. Great customer service. Really, it's, it's a good product. I'm not paid by them, and I pay full fare for their bloody service, to be clear. So um, the, the reason is they're on the Optus network, so you're going to get your same coverage. And they have um, 
they have pretty competitive uh, mobile plans. So, for example, for $65 a month, you'll get 120 gigabytes of data. Holy snap. So let's say uh, of your 80 gigabytes of usage, let's say it's split 60-40, right? So it's not 40. It's like let's say it's 50 or 60 gigabytes on the iPad and it's 40 or 50 on the phone, let's for example. Because I'm imagining yep. you're at home on the on the iPad, you know, watching TV and stuff like that, right? So you could sign up to Optus, sorry, to Aussie Broadband on your for a mobile phone plan, $35 a month, and get 40 gigabytes of data. Okay? For your mobile phone. Yeah. And then now I actually don't know what it is with Aussie Broadband, whether or not it's one of their what they call mobile broadband plans or whether it's just another SIM card from their normal mobile deals. But let's let's put you on the $45 a month plan for 60 gigabytes of data on the tablet. So you've now got 100 gigabytes of data shared across both. But, but when I say shared, they're not shared. It's 40 for the phone, 60 for the tablet. And you're currently now paying uh, $80, right? So you've saved yourself $80 a month, right? And you're on the yes. Optus network still. If you are worried about the data usage on your tablet, Aussie Broadband have an, what they call extra, extra large plan for $65 a month, which gives you 120 gigabytes of data. Now, we're, we're, paying, we're paying 100 bucks a month there, but you're still paying 60 less. Yes. So, And remember, you yes. can take your phone number from one company to the next. You don't need to, you know, get a new phone number or anything like that. So what I would love you to do is, first and foremost, a little touch of research. How much data is each device using? Over the last three months, what's the average? On my phone, how much have I yep. used? On my tablet, how much have I used? If Optus won't give you that answer... That's an even better reason to give you the middle finger, okay? Because it should be clear on each SIM card how much data is being used. And then yep. here's the great thing. Pick up the phone and ring Aussie Broadband. You don't even need to go online, okay? Because they have Aussie people sitting on the phone. They have a Perth call centre as well as one in Victoria that I, as, as, as I understand it. And they might sit on, on hold for five minutes, but someone in Australia will answer your call and – I think they'll they'll blow your mind just with their customer service, and I think you'll lock into something similar to what I've outlined there, and you will be very happy, and we'll be saving you sixty to eighty dollars a month. That's awesome. Can you believe that? I just I can't believe that you could save eighty dollars a month. So let's hope that works out for you, Narelle. I think thing, you, I mean, the thing that was worrying me was. Go on. The thing that was worrying me was what, what would happen, you know. So, but that's given me so much food for thought, Trevor. Thank you so much. Remember, I'm not saving you from the data hack. You've already been exposed. Um, you will have to hand over your personal information again. Um, I have great faith that Phil Sim, the boss of Aussie Broadband, the day the Optus hack happened, called all of his security team in and said, "Lock it down, folks." Um, but. That yep. doesn't that doesn't mean a, a hack and a cyber attack like this won't happen again. I, it's it's really there's nothing we can do to guarantee that. But I think at this point, by moving our business and giving Optus a very clear signal, um, that's the best thing you can be doing. So 
I would also very much, Nero, love to hear from you once you've you finished this process because I'd love to know how much money you're able to save every month. That would, I certainly will do that, Trevor. Thank you so much. Good on you, Narelle. Stay safe and uh, look forward to hearing how much money you save. Talk to you soon. Hey, thanks, mate. Take care. Good on you. Um, what about that? Holy hell. She's paying 160 I tried to be calm. $160 a month. What on earth? I mean, seriously. That is highway bloody robbery. I just, I'm literally blown away by that. It's phenomenal to me. Anyway, I can't wait to hear from her. I really can't. Anyway, AFGM.com. That's where Narelle found me. Um, having, I'm tipping, been listening on 6PR in Perth. Thank you for listening. That is enough of me this week, I think. I'm hungry. I need some lunch. I'm going to get some. Uh, we've got some movies to watch. There's a lot going on. And um, frankly, got a long list of things to do, which I haven't done. Uh, keep your eye on socials tomorrow. There is a bit of exciting news tomorrow about a new website announcement I want to share with you, but I can't until tomorrow. Um, so keep your eyes on the socials. I'll, I'll let you know in the man cave, but also um, I might even send out a notification. I might do that just because I don't see, and again, correct me here, but EFTM is is like a brand for what I do, right? So if I do something externally, like maybe I should mention the switched on segment on, on the notification. Maybe I should do that. Anyway, um, let's see how that goes. But I will uh, definitely be posting about it on social media. So follow me on Twitter for the 90 days that I've still got my blue tick because uh, I'll be getting rid of that. And uh, on Facebook, wherever you like. Thanks for listening. Lovely to have your company. And we'll do it all again soon. Maybe not next week. Just saying. You could all use a break from me.